Well, good morning. I'm Eric Kitchen, and this is Paul Dutoma. And we're so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Actually, I'm just not used to sitting over here. So uh, actually, I'm Paul, and this is Ryan James, uh, one of our elders here at New Life. And we're so glad to be with you. And uh, we are continuing our uh, series in the life of Christ. Um, We're transitioning a little bit this morning, uh, moving from the book of Luke over to uh, the book of John, and really excited about what we're going to be discussing this morning. But but uh, before we get going, uh, Brian, would you mind leading Love us to. in prayer? Okay. Love to. Uh, dear Lord, as, as we've been blessed this morning, the time of worship together, uh, the, the lyrics from that last song ring in my mind that with every breath might we follow Jesus. And that, that's our, our, uh, our message this morning overall. And we just ask that you would lead and guide us. And, and as we gather here, um, spread apart, but together as one, um, we just ask that that, uh, that thread connect us and that, uh, that that message be be lifted up to you this morning and be spread to one another and just that you might be worshiped and honored through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, as um, I was uh, preparing, you know, for this morning, um, I was I was just thinking, how do I want to get into this message? And something popped into my head. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm an old movie buff. Shocking. Uh, yeah. And by the way, let me clarify, <laughs> that doesn't mean that I'm old and I love movies. It means that I love old movies. Okay. I just want to make that very clear. Uh, but I love uh, old movies, uh, the classics. And and, uh, you know, today, you know, there, there's some good movies that come out, but um, I just don't think they make them like they used to. And in fact, I think uh, part of the proof in the pudding there is that they make so many remakes of older movies. And uh, one that came to mind was uh, the, the movie A Star is Born. And I, re- I remember the 1976 version of that with Chris Christopherson and uh, Barbara Streisand. And I, I saw it on television, so it was cleaned up uh, a bit on TV. But I didn't realize until afterwards that that was actually the third time they made that movie. Hmm. Uh, there were two previous versions, one in 1954, one in 1937, I believe. Um, and as a bit of trivia, uh, anybody out there know who starred in the 1954 version? Now, there's no way for us to know if anybody got it right, so I'm just going to tell you. It was Judy Garland and James Mason. Um, and for those of you that go back a little bit further, in 1937, it was Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the reason why I bring that up is because that particular story kind of uh, reminds me a little bit of what we're going to be looking at here this morning in the book of John. Uh, Oh, and by the way, just in case you're wondering, they've made another remake two years ago um, starring uh, Bradley Cooper in Lady Gaga. A couple of my favorites. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and and just for the record, I checked it out in IMDB, The Parent's Guide. I do not recommend it, okay? (laughs) Just want to go on record with that. But um, the, the reason why I mentioned the movie is because in the movie, 
The premise is really about uh, there being an older, more established actor or musician who's on the downside of their career, and they have to give way to an up-and-coming rising star, and they don't deal with it very well. Um, oftentimes, it's very, very difficult um, to, to play second fiddle when you're used to playing first. Sure. And, and so that's kind of what the, the emphasis of, of those movies are. It's, it's hard for somebody who has been center stage for so long to gracefully bow out and allow somebody else to take it. And in John chapter 3, John the Baptist actually comes to the understanding that it's time for him to give way to an up-and-coming prophet, a, a new rising star. And that, of course, is Jesus. But unlike the characters in the movies, John doesn't mind playing second fiddle. He doesn't mind giving up the limelight to Jesus. And he actually rejoices over his arrival, which is really, really quite amazing. And back in um, John chapter 1, in particular verses 19 through 28, what you see is the Pharisees actually sent some priests and scribes to John to find out who, who are you? I mean, who, who are you? And, and what, by what authority do you have to, to baptize people? John has a very simple response. He says, I am not the Christ. Mm. I am not the Christ. He goes on uh, to say in verse 23, he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And, and I think John is a great example for us of what it means to be a Christ follower. Uh, John did not seek to build his own kingdom. He didn't uh, even seek to perpetuate his current ministry. He, was, he willingly embraced Jesus um, and, and his role as a forerunner. You know, the person that went before Jesus to prepare the people's hearts to receive Jesus once he came. And, and John, in the passage we're going to be looking at, really, he, he points to Jesus as the Lamb of God. He points to him as a heavenly groom, and he points to him as the very son of God. And, and, I, and as I think about John's ministry, it's not unlike our own. Mm -hmm. um, we're all called to point people to Jesus. So this morning... Mm -hmm. That's what we're going to do, because every single Christian is called to point others to Jesus. So let's take a look um, at how John pointed people to the Lamb, um, so that we might know how we are to point people right. to the Lamb. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn over to John chapter 1, going to read uh, verse 29 through 34. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Um, as I you know, read that passage, Ryan, I am re re rem remembering my days growing up uh, in church, and uh, there was not much that I really understood in church. And this was one of the things that really threw me for a loop. You know, behold the Lamb of God. Now, in the church that I grew up in, it, it went like this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Happy are those who are called to his supper. And we always said that before we celebrated communion. But I had no clue um, what it meant. Jesus as the Lamb of God. I don't know if you've ever, uh, you know, growing up, I don't know what your church background really was and whether that would have made any sense to you. Yeah, I don't know that that idea of, of the Lamb and using terminology like that, especially before communion, um, I don't know that I really would have grasped that either. But I know just as you read that passage, it struck me as how... Um, how much opportunity John had to make it about himself. Yeah. And so just as he turned the, turned the tables mm -hmm. so immediately, um, I don't know if I would have had the discipline of that when he was getting all that attention. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, shortly after I became a, a follower of Christ, I started reading the Bible really for the first time in my life. And what helped me understand what John was really saying here was a couple of stories in the Old Testament. Uh, one was with Abraham and Isaac. If you remember, you know, God had told Abraham to take your one and only son and sacrifice him, mm. um, which is mind-blowing to think about. Uh, God never intended for that to happen, but he was testing Abraham. And uh, as they're going up to the mountain, you know, his son says, uh, Father, I, I see we got the wood, you know, fire, but where's the sacrifice? And I believe Abraham said, God himself will provide a lamb. And uh, right as Abraham was ready to come down on his son with the knife, God stayed his hand and off to the distance, there was a ram in the thicket. And so Abraham, God did not allow Abraham to sacrifice his son, but it was a picture of what God would do one day. Right. And, um, you know, several hundred years later, there was another story um, during the time of Moses when God's people were in Egypt, when they were in bondage, that God sent these plagues. And the very last plague was when the Lord himself passed over Egypt. Mm -hmm. And he told his people to take a lamb, uh, a spotless lamb, sacrifice it, and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts and the lentils of, of your home and then get inside the house. Because when God came into Egypt, he passed over those homes where the blood was. And, um, and thus, that's where we get the word, you know, Passover and the Passover yeah. celebration. But God literally passed over in judgment those people whose lives were covered by the blood. So when John here talks about Jesus as the Lamb of God, you have to understand the people, they, they were familiar with Old Testament sacrificial system um, because these families, they, they were sacrificing all the time for their sins. And every time they had to take a lamb or a goat or a dove or whatever and kill it. Uh, it was a gruesome reminder of, of 
how ugly sin is and the devastating consequence of it, which of course is death. Yeah, but the, the blessing of it is, is we sit on this side of it, yeah. that, that Jesus' sacrifice, you know, passed, allowed, allowed um, of condemnation to pass over us mm-hmm. sinners. And it was just a couple weeks ago, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and, and, and also commemorate the crucifixion of Christ, that shedding of blood. Um, it just uh, is, it brings this story all together as you, yeah. as you share those, those Old Testament passages and bringing it to, to uh, you know, a full picture here with them. As much as they would have understood the the language, the terminology here, uh, the need for a lamb, what would have been perplexing, uh, even as it was for me, is how can a lamb be a man? Right. You know, see that? (laughs) We can understand a lamb is a lamb is a lamb, but... Jesus, the Lamb of, of God. And I think uh, in declaring that Jesus is the Lamb of God, what John, uh, John was really saying is, is that Jesus was going to be that sacrifice, that final sacrifice that Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah chapter 53. Um, in fact, I'm going to turn over there real quick. Just read a couple verses um, from there, verses uh, 6 and 7. This is, by the way, a great passage written about 700 years before the time of Christ, so clearly pointing to him. But in verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned one to his own way, everyone. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so you can see the the terminology there that, that Jesus is the lamb who took the sins of the world upon himself and he was led to his death and like a like a like a sheep before his shearers is silent. He didn't open his mouth. Mm-hmm. He willingly accepted um, that punishment for sin that we rightly deserved, but he took upon himself for us because he he loved us. And and I like what the writer of Hebrews uh, says in chapter nine, in verse twenty six. He says, "He Jesus appeared once for all." at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's so great. Um, You know, when you think about it, the Old Testament sacrifices, they they could not take away sin. They they could not do anything concerning the power of sin or the penalty of sin. At best, they could cover it for a time. But God isn't interested in merely covering our sins. He desires to remove our sins from us. And it takes more than a sacrifice of a lamb or a goat. It took the sacrifice of God's one and only son on the cross, the perfect God-man who never sinned, never fell into, or not, he fell into temptation, but he never succumbed to temptation, not once. And so he became our great high priest. And what's interesting is he, he not only was our great high priest who offered the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. Yeah. That's just amazing. Yeah, what you're pulling together here right now is just critical to to all of us in this step of faith we have to take because you're linking together things that in the Old Testament people viewed at times that they had to do. 
Mm-hmm. They, had, they had to sacrifice the lamb. They had to, to bring an offering. They had to do these things so that they might be justified in, in front of God. Yeah. Um, and and then, then came the culmination of all of that with Jesus at the cross mm-hmm. and his resurrection. And so for, for those of us who are, who are still pondering that and, and saying, how, how does that work from way back then having to do something to now where it's a gift? Yeah. Um, how does that differ? And to really be able to grasp onto that is where this, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit has to turn that switch in our heart. Sure. And, and be comfortable with, with just recognizing it's by God's grace. Yeah. Yeah, God has to grant repentance. He has to grant us faith uh, to believe, and uh, we have to choose to to do that. And we're going to get to that later. We're going to talk about the two options or two choices that we have before us. Um, But it's very clear that when Jesus came, he broke the power of sin and death. He, he, He took away, removed the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm sure there's somebody out there because I would have asked this question myself is if Jesus has removed the penalty and the power of sin, why do I still sin? Why do we still sin? And it's a, it's a good question, actually. And um, as I was thinking about how I would answer that question, I was reminded about my my father uh, and a and a trip we took one time to the shoe store. Uh, my wife remembers this really well. Um, my dad um, had lost his leg. He fell down the stairs. At one point in his life, had some surgery, uh, the pins and, and plates and everything didn't take. Eventually, they, they took his leg. And uh, so he had a prosthetic device. Um, but of course, you know, he's able to, to get around. And so he needed a pair of shoes. So we went looking for a pair of shoes. And of course, you're, you're looking for shoes that will fit the good foot right. as well as a shoe that's yeah. going to fit the prosthetic uh, device. And so we finally found a pair of shoes. We put them on and we thought they looked great and everything. And my dad started complaining about it hurting that it was too tight. And I said, really? It's too tight? He says, which foot? And he said, the right one. And my wife and I, we looked at each other and, and then we looked at dad and told him, said, dad, you don't have a foot there, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I don't know if that was dad just being dad, but I do know that a lot of amputees suffer sure. from what's called phantom pains. Um, and it gives that sensation uh, that that, it, that limb is still present. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they, they feel pain, very real pain. And I just thought that that sometimes is a good analogy for us who struggle sometimes with sin. That yes, Jesus has dealt with the penalty and the power of sin, but I, I still succumb to it. And I think in some ways... Um, um, you know, our flesh remembers what it was like to sin, to indulge in sin. And, um, and, and we can still choose to sin even though the power has been broken. Yeah, he gives us the promise of our heavenly home, but he doesn't give us the, all the perks of it. Today. Not yet, not yet. Yeah, yeah. That day's coming. Yeah. Um, uh, in um, and as I was thinking about it, I, I also think this is where Scripture really helps us because we have to remind ourselves of the truths of Scripture. We don't walk by uh, sight; we walk by faith. The Scripture says so. We don't follow our emotions. We have to allow Scripture to inform our heart. Yeah. And so, I think it's always a good idea to go back to Scripture and say, "What does Scripture say about?" my relationship with God? 
What does it say about me as a person? And one of my favorite passages is in 2 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 17. Uh, Paul writes and says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Um, I don't know about you, but I have to remind myself of that. I am a new man. I have a new heart. Um, I am a new creation in Christ. And so God is calling every single believer to help point others to the lamb, to the lamb of God, the only one who can take away their sins. But that's not the only thing that we're called to do, right, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, as I was been pondering this whole passage this week and thinking about what John really was in the position to do, having the opportunity, kind of, you know, as he had some notoriety mm-hmm. at that time and and could have taken it on himself. Um, I got to thinking about a few uh, maybe more famous pairs. You know, recently I was thinking about. Um, uh, Kyrie Irving and LeBron in Cleveland, yeah. you know, they win a championship and Kyrie's like, you know, I don't know if I can really, you know, I've got this superstar here, but you know what? I'm, I'm something too. And yeah. so I, I need to bolt and see what I can do on my own. Well, as of yet, that hasn't quite worked out. Well, where'd he go? Boston? Is that where he went? Uh, I think he's in Brooklyn. Brooklyn? Now, okay. If I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, but, but who knows what they could have done had they, had they stuck together mm-hmm. over the course of, of years. And you got, Shaq and Kobe years ago, they could never, after they won some championships, they couldn't quite, you know, coexist either because, mm-hmm. you know, one or the other kind of thought they ought to be, yeah. um, be that guy. And, and I think you see it on TV shows sometimes, you know, you, you get, in, get used to a TV series and you, you turn it on in the fall and all of a sudden, you know, there's a car accident that takes out one of the key actors, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you, you see... Uh, you see a news story like, oh, they couldn't get could a tra- contract um, agreement or whatever. Uh, so if you have if you have ideas like that of these of, of these kind of co-star situations that that maybe one tried to leave and maybe it didn't work out so well, um, it's difficult. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, one that stands out right now to me that's really interesting. I'm impressed by is you know these evening uh, during the. The, the COVID-19 um, thing we got going down, obviously we're here and, and everyone else is at home because of this. Um, you might watch um, the, the uh, Vice President Pence give the, the evening or daily update. One thing that I'm really impressed by and interested in is how even though he's been placed in, in charge of this task force, and no doubt there's an army of, of staffers and people down into various parts of the government that are feeding information uh, to Vice President Pence. When he gives those updates, he is speaking with deference to the president. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as, as Vice President Pence, he's been a governor, he's been a congressman, no doubt, is it a very accomplished individual himself, but nonetheless, in this moment, he's saying, Mr. President, by your leadership, we've done this, this, and that. Mr. President, by your leadership, we've done these things, and the accomplishments have been such. And so while some of those other ones were examples where it didn't work so well, yeah. I mean, it seems as though um, Mike Pence is the type of guy right now who's content to sit in a, in a forerunner position, in, in, a, in a supportive role, and, and he displays that to the country. Yeah. And so um, I think we, we see that clearly in this next, next passage um, with, with John as well. And starting in, in verse uh, 25 of chapter 3 now, 
um, we, we see this. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all of you are, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, mm. but I must decrease. So here you've got John the Baptist's disciples now saying to John, uh, take a look over there. You got, you got these people following him. He's ga gathering a crowd. You, you're really going to stand? You're, the, you're kind of the man here. You're really uh -huh. going to stand for this? Yeah. And it wasn't, I mean, as much as they were saying, hey, John, look at this, they were his disciples. This impacted them. Right, and notoriety. And, and yes, yeah. and they're, Power. you know, and it's it's human nature, isn't yeah. it, um, to look out for me, myself, and yeah. I, and and you know, I I think even today, you know, we we still wrestle with this same thing. Yeah. You know, I I've been in ministry uh, a few decades now, and served in various churches, and have worked with numerous churches, and tried to work with numerous churches, and I can tell you that. Um, you know, as much as I love my fellow pastors, sometimes we can be territorial. Mm. Um, we can we we can have the same concern that the disciples had sure. here. I know when we were back in South Carolina, I was a part of a church where where basically we we really felt strongly that we should partner with other like-minded churches for the kingdom. Um, but, but sometimes it was like pulling teeth mm. and, and you had to sit back and, and wonder why, why is that? And, and I think some of the reasons is, is just, just again, human nature. If, if I partner, if my people rub shoulders with another congregation and another <laughs> pastor, um, maybe they'll like his preaching more. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. Maybe they'll like their music better. Uh, maybe they've got better facilities or, or, or more programs friends over there. Yeah, yeah. And and then what happens to us? Mm -hmm. You know, what what if our people leave and yeah. you know, and the money walks out the door with them and yeah. you know, that that is something that we have to contend with. So when John says, you know, uh, he must increase, you know, and I must decrease. Yeah. Wow, that's 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 heavy. And I and I think, you know, what John is getting at here is, is the same thing that I would say to pastors today who, who are somewhat territorial, is that we're all working for the same boss. We're not trying to build our own individual kingdoms. There is only one church. And we need to preach that to ourselves. Yes. You and yeah. me and Eric yeah. and Greg. And yeah, I think I mentioned this to you this week yeah. was uh, that if, if Jesus were to write a letter to the church here in Columbus or even Canal Winchester, who would he write it to? Um, is it going to be, you know, David Lutheran? Is it going to be, you know, the, the Methodist church? Yep. Pick one. Um, it, it, is it New Life? Is it, you know, X church? No, I, he would write to the church at Canal Winchester. Yeah, right. 
because he only has one church and each individual local church is just an, an outpost of the kingdom. Yeah. And we're in, and, and Jesus is in a sense, you would say the senior pastor. Yeah. Yeah. It's so impressive that, that John, there's not even a hint of John seeing Jesus as competition. Yeah. Not even a hint of it. Um, he embraced uh, his role as, as forerunner and, and, and really, he pointed out that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was the heavenly groom. And, and we all know who's, who's in charge at a wedding. Who, who's the honored one at a wedding? And, and here it was, John pointing out that, that Jesus was the, the heavenly groom. Just a, a quick story to illustrate sort of who's in charge at, at a wedding. We got married at, at Christmas time, Steph and I did, and... And in my in, in my home church, and we always had a big Christmas tree as a kid. It seemed like it was thirty feet tall. I don't know, but I, I, it generally it definitely was usually more than ten. So it was a big tree, and so we were we were getting ready for the wedding the day or two after Christmas. I must have been maybe it was Christmas Day because we married on the twenty seventh. Um, so we were there, kind of adjusting the the church for the wedding, and. Um, Steph was sort of standing back and looking at things, and, and she said, um, the tree, that's got to go up in the choir loft. <laughs> and I remember my dad, my brothers, and I sort of looking at each other going, really? uh -huh. Well, about three minutes later, you know what was happening? That tree was finding itself transitioning across the church sanctuary up about five or six steps into the choir loft. Yeah. You know, and, and who, you know who's why, the right? honored yeah. one at the wedding? Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the bride is, but, but the groom as well. The groom and the bride mm -hmm. are the ones that are they're honored at the wedding. And so it uh, ended up being a great evening picture with the Christmas lights up in the, up in the choir loft. It was a great vision she had, but, you know, in the moment, uh, not generally something you would have done um, uh, to prepare for a church service, but yeah. it wasn't just any church service. Yeah. Um, so, so that's that's where we we find John, you know, honoring the groom in that situation as he um, as he quotes there that um, that it was a, uh, um, a a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, mm -hmm. and so. You know, John was, was such a humble servant. He, his, his pride was not impacted. He recognized that he wasn't the Christ. Mm -hmm. He wasn't the lamb. He was not the groom in this situation. And, you know, he, um, he had every opportunity to take on and, and, and take advantage of the popularity, the prominence, the authority that yeah. he had in that moment, yeah. but he didn't do it. Let me interject for a second. But isn't it freeing to, to admit that you're not somebody, you know, that you don't, you don't have to pretend to be somebody that you're not. Yeah. John didn't have to pretend to be the Lamb of God. He wasn't. He didn't have to pretend to be the groom. You know, it's when we step out of the role that God has for us that we end up really being miserable and, 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 and keeping somebody else from a role that God has for them. You know, the fact that he, he stepped back and allowed Jesus to be Jesus. Um, I mean, that's, that's why we're saved today. Yeah. Because Jesus was the... Yeah. And, and for us, as we look at John's life and how, how he had opportunity to, to really please his self 
ish desires mm -hmm. in that had he had them, he didn't display them. So we don't even know. Maybe mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit just took those temptations away from him. But as we look at, at our lives, even this week, this week with this, with this unique situation of, of COVID-19, we're all facing something new this week as, as we hope that, that the governor will open mm -hmm. our state up a little bit. There may be, even in the, in the short term, we may have some restaurants opening. Certainly, a lot of us might be able to go back to work. And, and we haven't really interacted with people, you know, face-to-face -face recently. And, and so this, this idea of, of, you know, okay, am I far enough apart from someone? And, and you know, perhaps I or them are wearing a mask. And so the, the nonverbal communication is going to be more difficult. Mm -hmm. And, and, and maybe some people think we shouldn't even be out, or maybe you think we should be out. And to, to, to ask ourselves, well, well, what's driving some of these, these feelings and how I'm communicating? And I think we can look back to, to, to this example with John. John was just taking his, he was taking his cues because he knew who the appropriate honor went to. And, and so some of those things that I just mentioned those at the end of the day, those are kind of self-centered feelings. And while a lot of them are justified right now because we want to stay safe, we want to stay, stay healthy, um, but to have lots of grace during this time, to, to exemplify love, to set our personal desires and, and feelings aside and recognize, hey, you know what? I need to have this grace for others that I'm, that I'm dealing with as we interact newly mm -hmm. again for the first time here in the next few weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what it boils down to is, is can't, are we willing to be like John and, and set aside, you know, our desires, uh, give up our position, maybe power, maybe influence, maybe just our, our right to croak and complain, yeah, you know? Right, that's a great um, example. You know, yeah. in order that others, um, you know, it might be built up. Uh, and in this case, that others might come to know Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, when, I've said this before, but I think the greatest apologetic for the Christian faith is love. Um, when the world sees Christians loving each other, oh, being tolerant of each other, uh, being forbearing towards each other, um, laying down our agendas, our rights, not seeking our own interests, but also looking out for the interests of others, that's when the world takes notice. Yeah. I, I love this, this kind of closing passage of that uh, narrative um, where where it talks about um, how well you know the groom mm. and how well you know the bride. Because it says this, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. But here's, here's the thing. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Mm -hmm. it's, it's nice to go to a wedding because you're invited. But boy, if it's your friend's kid or if it's your friend who's getting married... It's just an outstanding celebration. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, if it's your kid getting married, it's an outstanding celebration. Mm -hmm. and, and so it comes back to the question of how well do we know the groom? How excited are we about the groom? Mm -hmm. And how excited are we about the, the, the bride who, who Scripture calls the yeah. church? Yeah, yeah. Think about that for, for a moment. How well do we... How, how well do we know Jesus? How excited 
are we about our relationship with him, about him, yeah. for, for who he is? And, and then, like you said, the bride. How well do we know the bride? How well do we know one another? Mm-hmm. How well do we know the body of Christ here at New Life? That's one of the beautiful things about our life group ministry and our D groups. And when we get together like we did Friday night for the prayer and worship night, it gives us an opportunity to rub shoulders because you can't love people you don't know. Yeah. And I can't wait for one where we can get together and we can give everybody hugs again and shake hands and, and things like that. So, so yeah, so John, obviously, you know, he points people to Jesus as the lamb, as the heavenly groom, but he also points people to Jesus as the very son of God. And keep in mind, these are the things that we are to do as, as well. So let's look at uh, verse 31 through 36 um, there in chapter 3. And I got to find it here. All right. So it says, he who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, these uh, verses really raise an interesting question, um, and it may not be visible at, at first glance, but who is speaking here? It's not really clear. If you look at, at the text, and depending on which translation you're using, it may add to the, to the confusion, but at first glance, you think it's a continuation of what John has been saying, um, but the style appears to be different in this section, and also um, what aids the, in the, the confusion is in the original Greek manuscripts, you don't have quotation marks you know, that usually mark off when someone is giving a direct quotation. And different translations actually place the quotation marks in different places. And so scholars are, are not in agreement here. Some people feel, yeah, this is still John the Baptist speaking. Others actually think that this is now Jesus speaking. And yet there are still others who think that it's actually the Apostle John. And uh, I am inclined to think it's the latter. Hmm. And, uh, and I think if, if you have the ESV or the NIV, you can see that they put the quotation marks at the end of verse 30, and there isn't anything that begins there at verse uh, 31. So I think what's happening is, is John is now, John the Apostle that is, is giving us kind of an editorial comment on, on what has been said up to this point. And notice that he uses uh, three different words to summarize how we're supposed to respond. We're, we're to receive, we're to believe, we are to obey. Amen. And those words are almost synonymous. When you look through scripture, you'll find them used interchangeably. I, I think of John one uh, twelve uh, that says, but to all who did receive him, some translations even have the word accept there, 
uh, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So to receive the gospel or the testimony of Jesus Christ really is synonymous with receiving Christ himself. And to believe in the son really means to obey the son. And John makes that really clear if you look at verse 36, because he says there, whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. Now, I know there's a little tension there because, you know, we think, well, we're not saved by our works. Well, there's one particular obedient action that we have to take to be saved. And, and he, John, excuse me, uh, Jesus tells us in Mark chapter one, verse 15, what it is. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent mm. and believe in the gospel. Amen. There is no other way to be saved. We must repent of our sins, turn from our sins. We must believe the gospel. Yeah. That's one command we can't afford not yeah. to obey. Um, if, if we don't obey the son, scripture says we will not see the life. Instead, what does it say? We're going to experience the wrath mm. of God. Yeah. And I don't know, uh, notice that John says the wrath of God remains on him. It's not like all of a sudden God's wrath came upon them. That's where we start. Yes, that's where we start. We're, yeah. We were born sinners. We were born with a sinful nature. And, and God's wrath was on us from the moment of conception, yeah. which is, I know, hard to fathom, but, but that's our nature. And, and Paul you know, makes it real clear in, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. If I can turn over to that real quick. Ephesians 2 and uh, verses 1 through 3, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, mm. following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, underscore the word all, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, God's wrath is only removed by repenting of our sins, receiving the gospel, receiving Christ, and allowing him um, to regenerate our heart. Uh, the scripture also refers to this as being born again, that we have to be born from above. We have sin that needs taken care of. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and thus the need to point people to the yeah. lamb yeah. <laughs> and to the groom and, and here to the son of God. Absolutely. And, and, and so, folks, as we share the gospel with people, one thing we need to keep in mind is that the gospel requires a response from people. Um, I know it's one of the hardest things to do is to, is to kind of uh, press people to respond, but they have to know that it's, it's either repent or perish. It's either, either believe or suffer a Christless eternity separated from him forever and ever and ever in hell. And, and so Jesus says, if you don't obey the son, you will not see the life. So, you know, I, I guess I would just ask, are you pointing people to Jesus? Mm. 
Are you pointing people to the lamb, to the groom? Are you excited about him? Are you excited about God's church? Um, And are you pointing people to the son of God, the one who has the right to command us to obey? And, And in obeying, you know, we find life. Yeah, John, John the Baptist, as, as we close up, just think about how John the Baptist provides a great example as a Christ follower. He mm. points all the attention, all the glory, and recognizes Jesus for who he is. Uh, as, as we close up, I'd like to have everybody maybe even close their eyes um, as I paint this picture. In, in Life Group a few months ago, we watched a, a, a video clip um, as we were, were studying, uh, uh, doing a study about, about marriage. And the video clip, um, and if you could close your eyes right now to think about this, was of, was of a ballet. And it was of a, of a dance with a man and a woman um, ballet, uh, ballerina expertise in, in ballet. And the, the, the picture was throughout the course of the performance, you can imagine in your, in your own mind's eye, um, a man and a woman um, dancing ballet. And, and the whole job of the man is to, is to bring his power and leadership into emphasizing the beauty and the grace of the woman ballerina. And then as the performance comes to a crescendo and the, the largest jump and the, and the hugest spin and the lights are showing on this, on this ballerina, the man ballet expert backs off into the shadows as the applause and the wonder comes upon this woman ballerina. And it's just such an amazing picture of, of how, how we are to point mm-hmm. To Christ. Mm-hmm. We are to point to him. He is, is the receiver of the glory. Life happens and he mm-hmm. is the focus. And we are to step into the shadows and allow him to take center stage. That's and, awesome. And in, and in doing that, we recognize that, that the goal is, is receiving, is believing, and obeying is a part of us uh-huh. stepping into the shadows as, as the applause and the glory goes to Jesus, who's in the lights. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I hope you guys were as uh, encouraged and challenged uh, in this passage as, as we were, um, because this is our calling, as it was with, with John. We are called to point others to Jesus and, um, and, and to help them understand that Jesus is the only one that they can take away their sins. He's the only one that can usher them into his presence when this life is over. Um, and, um, and so, uh, Ryan, would you mind maybe closing us I in do. prayer? And Lord, we're so grateful for today. We're grateful to be together. We're not together virtually. We're together as a church. Our hearts are aligned. We're connected uh, through the Holy Spirit. And we worship you today. Um, we just happen to be, um, be connected with the, with the assistance of, of technology. And we're so grateful for that. And today that our hearts might be pointed towards Christ, that, that we develop this increasing picture of us becoming less and him 
becoming greater, that John the Baptist was such a great example too. And even this week, as we, as we enter into a new phase of this pandemic, of where we re-enter things, that we keep that in mind of how we treat people, how we love people, and how we, we bat down our own desires. Even as we have anxieties about our jobs and our income and, and how we interact with people in this, in this new, under new rules, um, but Lord Jesus, that, that you might lead us into again becoming less mm-hmm. as you become greater and that we, the biggest testimony through this whole thing is the sweetness and the love and the grace of the gospel mm-hmm. and that we might be purveyors of that. And so we just thank you for the opportunity to worship and share your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.